It's time now for a special edition of Encounter with your host, Evan Fowler. Good afternoon, and thanks for joining us today on this special edition of Encounter. This is going to be a, a great conversation about a really interesting topic, especially for those of you who know about a guy named Steve McQueen, an actor who uh, you know had, had a lot of films back in the day, kind of back in my day. And there are a lot of people, I think, who, uh, who followed Steve McQueen's path. Uh, but uh, one of those people who followed his path is Pastor Greg Laurie. Greg Laurie is the teacher on the New Beginning broadcast, which is heard on all bot radio network stations. He's also the senior pastor of Harvest Fellowship in Riverside, California. And we're going to be talking with Greg today about a new movie and also about the book that he wrote about Steve McQueen and find out why in the world is a pastor talking about a movie star who's, you know, been gone for a while. Uh, Greg, welcome to this edition of Special Encounter. Yeah, I mean, great to be with you. Thanks for having me on the show. Well, what we're going to do, first of all, we're going to be talking about a film that's going to be playing this Thursday evening. And uh, to set that up, I want to, to have you listen to a little bit of the trailer for that film. So, Rob, go ahead and roll that trailer for us. Steve McQueen set the action movie template for the modern-day era of cinema. He's singular. And he was the best at what he did. He was the best Steve McQueen there was. He did have beautiful blue eyes. They were sad eyes. Well, like most people, I've always been a fan of Steve McQueen. Everybody knows he became a big movie star. What some may not know is he was the number one movie star in the world 2017. He's still an icon, but here's what people don't know about Steve McQueen. The trajectory of his life. He had global fame. He was a heavy drug user, a heavy drinker, and there was a big old hole in Steve McQueen's heart. At a certain point, he disconnected from Hollywood and literally walked away. He didn't want Hollywood anymore. He wanted something else. He was trying to find a life of peace. And a very ordinary man that entered his life that was the perfect person to tell Steve McQueen the answer to the questions he had had from his earliest childhood. And here's the story I want to tell. Steve McQueen became a believer in Jesus Christ toward the end of his life. That is a story very few people know, and that is a story I want to tell in this documentary film. And I'm going to follow Steve's life, and it's going to be a story like people have never seen before. All right, so that's the trailer for the film that's going to be shown this Thursday evening, one night only. Greg, first of all, uh, why your interest in Steve McQueen? Well, you know, it probably goes back to uh, my car. I bought a replica of the bullet car. That's a 1968 Mustang painted in Highland Green as featured in the film Bullet, starring Stephen Queen. So I just thought it was a cool car, and I went looking for one, and I tracked one down in Houston, Texas, of all places. And uh, my wife wasn't thrilled about this purchase, I have to say. But, you know, it's just kind of a fun car to have. But, but really fast-forwarding from there... I was doing our, our crusade. We do an evangelistic event every summer here in Southern California called the SoCal Harvest. And in the day, uh, before I would speak that night, I, I was just kind of chilling a little bit, and I turn on the TV, and there's a documentary on the life of McQueen. So I watched it, 
And, uh, you know, it had the familiar story of Steve's very difficult childhood, his tumultuous life, his success in Hollywood. Then he gets cancer and he dies, and that was the story. And I thought, wait a second. It seems like I'd heard that Steve had become a Christian, but I wasn't really sure of that, and I didn't have any firsthand knowledge of it. So it started with a search on Google. I just put in Steve McQueen, comma, conversion to Christianity. And not a lot of articles bubbled up, but, but one name kept coming to the top, and it was a guy named Leonard DeWitt, who was the pastor of Steve, supposedly. So I was able to track Leonard DeWitt down. He's alive and well and very lucid in his 80s. And so I got him on the phone, and as it turns out, we had met earlier. I, I just didn't, I wasn't aware that he was the guy who was McQueen's pastor. And as I asked him about Steve, he told me the story, and it was such an amazing story. And I thought, why have more people not heard this story. So I called my friend, filmmaker John Irwin, and uh, I said, John, I have a crazy idea, but, you know, I just heard this story. Would this not make an interesting documentary film? John got the idea immediately, and fast forward to today, I wrote a book called Steve McQueen, The Salvation of an American Icon that is now out. You can find it at Amazon and Harvest.org, and we just completed this documentary film that, as you said, is opening nationwide as a one-day event through Fathom Events uh, this coming Thursday. Well, now you had an interest in McQueen earlier in life, did you not? At least that's my understanding, even before you, you bought the car. Well, sure. Yeah, you know, I've always been a McQueen fan. I just think he's a standout actor. I mean, he's still very popular today. You know, if you go to Google his name, and just to see, you know, how many uh, things mention him, there's 15 million results if you Google Steve McQueen. You know, he's he's gone from being an actor of another time to an icon. That's why we called it Steve McQueen, American Icon. You know, he sort of stands apart. He's one of those guys like James Dean, Marilyn Monroe, Elvis, that transcend time. And he's sort of a, uh, you know, a person people look to for fashion, uh, motorheads and people in the cars, Revere McQueen. Of course, movie fans love him. I mean, he did so many things. But what people don't know is that Steve McQueen, at the peak of his career, after he'd made his most successful film to date, walked away from Hollywood. And really what was happening was he was on a spiritual search. He grew his hair out real long and shaggy and grew his beard out as well. But Steve was really searching for meaning and purpose in life, and he found what he was looking for, not on the soundstage of Hollywood, uh, but actually in a quiet little community called Santa Paula, California, and the balcony of the Ventura Missionary Church, where he heard the gospel presented by Pastor Leonard DeWitt. So there are some things that, that you identified with in McQueen's life, and, and I've read the book, uh, Steve McQueen, Salvation of an American Icon, and it's, it's a great book, and I highly recommend it. Thank you. And it talks about, you know, it talks about the amazing parallels between uh, what McQueen went through and what you went through in terms of growing up. So uh, tell us a little bit, well, no, not a little bit, tell us as much as you want to about uh, both his life and your life and, and the parallels. Yeah, well, I didn't know this until I, until I started researching uh, for the book. And it, that was co-written with Marshall Terrell, who has written five books on McQueen. So he's an expert on all things McQueen. 
And as I began to look into Steve's childhood, I was shocked to find that it was almost identical to my childhood. And I've never heard of anyone having a childhood closer to mine, or maybe I should say my childhood being closer to his. Both Steve and I were born to alcoholic mothers. His mother was named Julian. My mom was named Charlene, both blondes. Both of us had a lot of stepfathers who were abusive. Both of us never knew our biological father, and in fact went searching for him. Both of us spent time living with aunts and uncles and with our grandparents, and both of us were sent to reform-type schools. Steve went to the Boys' Republic in Chino, California, and I went to the Southern California Military Academy. So growing up that way, I know that I had to learn to fend for myself. I had to think for myself. I effectively raised myself. So when I'm looking at Steve's life, let's just say I had a great degree of empathy writing about him. You know, self could, uh, Steve could be a very self-absorbed guy, selfish at times, mean at times. He was kind of a broken man. It was hard for him to have normal relationships because he was not raised properly. But uh, and, and that's one of the things that sent him on a search, as it sent me in a search. You know, when I was 17 years old, I, w- I was asking the big questions of life, like, what is the meaning of my life? Why am I here? Uh, what happens after I die? And I think Steve was asking those same questions. Of course, he went on to become the number one movie star in the world, and he had un- untold wealth and global fame and the coolest cars and and the hottest women, and he had everything the world promises to make you happy. His life was like a modern retelling of the story of King Solomon, who had everything, and then at the end said, you know, I looked at all that I had, and it was all emptiness, and Steve came to that same conclusion, as did I. So, you know, you you talked about a point in his life where he maybe kind of went off the deep end, or he just he just basically took everything, all of this fame, fortune, and and set it aside. What precipitated that? Well, Steve, you know, got heavily into drugs. Uh, he wrecked a lot of his relationships. His marriage with his first wife fell apart. Then he married actress Allie McGraw, who he met on the set of The Getaway, and they had a tumultuous relationship, and that too ended in divorce. Uh, Steve, at one point, Steve's entire career collapsed after he made a film called Le Mans uh, that did not do well, and he found out he owed a lot of money to the IRS, and it, he just kind of went to rock bottom again. And he also uh, lived kind of a crazy life. He was a very hedonistic kind of a guy. Uh, one little uh, detail many people may not know about him is he actually was uh, invited to the house of Charles Man. Excuse me. He was invited to the house of Sharon Tate. Right. And he was on his way to the party there, and he met a girl and ran off with her instead. But in reality, that was the night that the Manson family struck, and everyone in the home was murdered. Then Steve found out later that he was on Manson's hit list, and that just freaked him out. And, you know, he's already using drugs, so this just adds to his paranoia. He starts packing a pistol. <clears throat> you know, all this this Hollywood dream is, is turning into a nightmare for him. And so, you know, he, he went on to make a comeback, uh, and his last big film was uh, The Towering Inferno with Paul Newman. He made a lot of money on that. <clears throat> and so he walked away from Hollywood, like, okay, I'm done. And, and he moved to this little town called Santa Paula, California. And Steve had mastered auto racing. He had mastered motocross. He had obviously been very successful as an actor. But one thing Steve always wanted to do was learn how to fly. And that was something that would bring him to a man that would 
help him change the course of his life. Yeah, well, let's talk about uh, let's talk about your conversion experience as well, and then if you would get into some detail about that relationship with the uh, the fellow who taught him how to fly. All right. Well, going back in time for me, I have to go back pretty far. Actually, uh, I was seventeen. It was uh, nineteen seventy. And, you know, I'd pretty much chased after everything this world had to offer. Uh, I saw the emptiness of my mother's life. I thought maybe partying and drinking would be a fun way to live, and I became quickly disillusioned with that because I saw I was effectively following in my mother's footsteps, and I saw how unhappy she was. And the whole drug culture was coming on strong, so I started smoking pot pretty much every day. I started using LSD on the weekends, and my life was just spiraling down. And and I was wondering, you know, what what is the purpose and meaning of life? It, I for me, it was sort of like a process of elimination. First, I discovered where it wasn't. Well, on my high school campus, there was a group of very outspoken Christians. By the way, this is when the Jesus movement was in full bloom. So all these young people were coming to Christ, and we had these young kids on our campus that were Christians, and they carried Bibles and sang songs openly out on the front lawn at lunchtime about God, and I thought they were all collectively nuts. But one day I went out to one of their meetings and sat close enough to where I could sort of eavesdrop on their conversation, but not so close that people would think I was joining them, because I was like social suicide, being one of the Jesus freaks. And, and as I listened in, as I eavesdropped on their conversation, for the first time in a way at least that I understood, I heard the gospel. And the guy who was speaking that day said, if you want to accept Jesus Christ, get up and walk forward right now. And some kids got up and walked forward, and I thought, there's no way I could ever do that, ever. And next thing I knew, I was up there praying with those kids, and that was the day Christ came into my life. And my life radically changed on that day. All right, I want to ask you to compare. Well, go ahead then, if you would tell us about Steve's conversion experience and the uh, the effect that one individual had on him, moving him in that direction. Right. So Steve moves to Santa Paula, California, and he wants to learn how to fly. So he he buys a hangar, an airplane hangar, and fills it with all of his toys, all of his cool collectible motorcycles, many of them Indian motorcycles, his cool cars, little antique toys. Steve loved to collect all sorts of things, and so he bought a Stearman biplane without even seeing it. That's sort of an antique plane. It was bright yellow, uh, but he didn't know how to fly it. So he asked around because Santa Paula, as it turns out, is the antique airplane capital of the world, and uh, he finds one guy can teach him. His name is Sammy Mason. So Steve calls Sammy on the phone. Hello, this is Steve McQueen. I'd like to take flying lessons from you. And, you know, he was used to people getting very excited when he called because he was a movie star, uh-huh. very famous movie star. Sammy could have cared less. He says, no, I'm not taking any any uh, new clients on right now. I don't want any new students. Sorry. And Steve's like, no, I'm, excuse me, I'm Steve McQueen. I want to take flying lessons. Again, Sammy said, no. Steve calls back. He's persistent. And finally, Sammy agrees to teach Steve. And so they're spending hours in the cockpit. And Sammy was in many ways sort of like a father figure, kind of like the dad Steve never had. He's older than Steve and the perfect guy to reach McQueen as well because uh, Sammy Mason was a man's man. He used to be a stunt pilot. He wasn't impressed with movie stars. And that's the kind of guy that Steve liked to hang around with. Steve liked to be with uh, mechanics and stuntmen and regular kinds of guys. And so as they're in that cockpit flying, learning, 
Steve saw something in Sammy that impressed him, a peace. And he asked Sammy, what is it about you? You seem really different. You seem at peace. And Sammy says, well, Steve, it's my relationship with Jesus Christ. So McQueen said, well, can I go to church with you sometime? And Sammy said, sure. So Sammy didn't even invite Steve to church. Steve went to church because he invited himself, and they're sitting in uh, one of the pews on the balcony of the Ventura Missionary Church. Steve heard Pastor DeWitt speak, and he prayed and asked Christ to come into his life. And I know this because <clears throat> people told Pastor DeWitt that McQueen was <clears throat> attending his church, and and Pastor DeWitt very wisely just kind of gave him space, did not fawn over him. And one day he gets a tap on his shoulder, he turns around, and there stands before him Steve McQueen. Steve said, Pastor, I'd like to go out to lunch with you and ask you a few questions. So having lunch, they talked for a good two hours, and uh, all of the questions Steve asked were answered by Leonard DeWitt. And then finally, Steve said, well, you've answered all my questions. Thank you. And Leonard says, well, I have a question to ask you, Steve. And Steve smiled and says, I know. You want to know if I'm born again, and I'm a Christian. And Leonard says, nothing is more important to me than that. Yes, I'd like to know. Steve says, yes, I prayed with you a few weeks ago at church and asked Christ to come into my life. And from that point on, Leonard was effectively discipling Steve, meeting with him for an hour every week for intense Bible study. Steve was faithful in church and and uh, and would bring his family and would bring friends. He knew because of his really crazy life. He could never be a leader in the church, but he actually asked Pastor DeWitt, could I like just be an usher, do something? Imagine Steve McQueen as an usher in your church. But, <laughs> yeah. you know, so he was growing just like a Christian does when they've accepted Christ. There was evidence in his life, and it was real. Well, you know, a question that popped up uh, as you were talking about Sammy Mason and is, you know, here's Sammy Mason. He's a believer. He's the guy who attracted Steve McQueen essentially to uh, to have greater interest in the Lord? Yeah. And here, my question is, you know, Sammy Mason gets a call from Steve McQueen. Why didn't Sammy jump at that opportunity, or was that just who Sammy is? Well, you know, I don't. That's an interesting question. You know, in terms of being able you to know, to I, reach out Sammy, to him, Sammy's kind of a soft-spoken guy, and um, I I don't know why he didn't just jump at it. You know, he wasn't impressed by celebrity. He was very busy, and maybe he didn't take Steve all that seriously. But I'm sure glad he did finally agree, because, you know, it was that... And maybe, you know, if Sammy had been so eager to evangelize Steve McQueen, that could have gone south very quickly. Sure, Sammy was, like I, I said, I think he was actually handpicked by God mm-hmm. to be the man, to connect to Steve, because he probably wasn't pushy, but he just lived it, and he lived it well. And it drew Steve in, and then Steve was ready to hear a preacher like Leonard DeWitt, you know, bring home the bacon, so to speak. <laughs> yeah. And Steve responded readily to that. No one pressured him, no one was pushing him, but he really wanted Jesus Christ. He wanted peace, he wanted purpose, and, uh, and he found the father he was looking for, not his biological father, but his Father in Heaven. That's wonderful. Well, uh, talking with Pastor Greg Laurie, he's the teacher on A New Beginning, the broadcast that we have all across Spot Radio Network, and we're talking about a film that you can see this coming Thursday. And, Greg, before I forget, because I've got a bunch more questions I want to ask you, but before I forget, how can people find out where this film is showing so that they can go to it as well? Uh, The best thing would be go to our website, which is stevemcqueenmovie.com. 
Again, it's one word, Steve McQueen. That's M-C-Q-U-E-E-N, movie, stevemcqueenmovie.com. <clears throat> when you get to that website, there's a little spot there to type in your zip code. And when you do, it'll show you what theaters it's showing in near you. So listen, it's in 800 theaters across the United States. Uh, and I have friends, you know, texting me and on my Facebook page, I see comments. Everyone is saying this to me. It's in our area. We're going. I bought five tickets. I bought eight tickets. And some people are saying it's sold out. So I would really encourage you to go out now and get tickets. And, you know, the best thing you could do is get at least two tickets, one for you and one for someone who does not know the Lord. Because, look, I'm a preacher, and I made a film about Steve McQueen. Uh, it is an outstanding documentary. John Irwin, director of Woodlawn and Mom's Night Out and so many other films, really has made a beautiful film. But at the end, I share the gospel. And that was really Steve's dying wish. You know, he said, my only regret in life is I was not able to tell others about what Christ has done for me. Well, I'm kind of helping him with that and getting this message he wanted out to as many people as I can. So even in this movie, I share the gospel message, and I even lead people in a prayer to accept Christ. So listen, if you bring someone who does not know the Lord to this movie, they could come to faith. Well, Greg, I know that that's your heart, and that's that's what Harvest is all about. You're all about harvesting souls, and you you uh, that's your full time thing. And this is just a a creative way to to do that work. Uh, in addition to all the other things that you do, well, let me jump back into some of the questions about this. And again, uh, that that web address is stevemcqueenmovie.com. You know what you said about uh, theaters being sold out. I I went online today to get a couple of tickets, and one of the theaters in uh, here in Kansas City had very few seats left. So that leads to another question. What if this thing sells out and does well? Will there be additional showings down the road? Yeah, I've been asked to not mention that because they want to, you know, sell out the first run, but the fact is there will be an encore presentation. Well, only if it sells well. So, it, you know, yeah. take it may not happen. It's not a guarantee. So, uh, stevemcqueenmovie.com, go there, buy your tickets. because And it will come out later in yeah. DVD and will be on a streaming site as well that we'll announce later. So I think it'll be out in, in DVD in time for Christmas. And so people will be able to get it. But I hope they'll go see it in the theater because... It's going to really be an impacting experience for you to see on the big screen. Well, I'd like you to compare the the book, which I mentioned and, and that I've read and I highly recommend. Compare the content of the book with the film, and I'm assuming that the the book led to the film. Is that right? Yeah, they were both done simultaneously, but basically the film is based on the book. And the book goes into more detail uh, in a lot of areas. There's some things in Steve's life that are not mentioned in the film that are in the book, uh, I also weave my own personal story into the book a little bit more than it's woven into the film, though it's mentioned, but not in the detail that is in, that is in the book. And there's some other details about McQueen's life that that I think are really fascinating. You know, we had the time in the book to tell the the complete story, but the film is around an hour and a half, so it, it compresses a few events together. And it kind of has a different sort of story arc to it. But we get to that same destination, which is this very dramatic uh, conversion of Steve. Now, there are some things in the movie that are not in the book. Uh, for instance, an uh, in-depth uh, interview with actor and director Mel Gibson. 
Uh, also, uh, an interview with Barbie McQueen, who's both in the book and the movie. Right. But uh, the film is narrated by uh, Gary Sinise, who people may know as Lieutenant Dan and Forrest Gump, and also he was on the CSI New York television show. Uh, and also in the film, this to me is one of the most important things of all, you hear from Steve McQueen himself. Because in our research and preparation, we uncovered audio tapes of Steve that, to my knowledge, have never been heard by the public, where he talked about his own faith in Christ and what has happened to him. So it's quite dramatic uh, when you hear these recordings of Steve in his own voice talking about what has happened to him. Now, the book is sort of a metaphorical trip kind of all over the country in uh, in this 68 Mustang. How much of it's metaphorical and how much of it is real, or can I even ask you that question? Well, yeah, we, in the beginning of the book, I, you know, I talked about how I've always wanted to write a, a book on fiction. So there's a little fiction in this book, and the only fiction is doing everything in my car. Frankly, I would not want to drive a 1968 Mustang across the United States. No. This crazy car of mine, uh, like just the other day, I drove two miles away and then it wouldn't start. The battery died. So, you know, this is the thing with old cars. But we used it as sort of a, a vehicle. So to speak. Intended, but, you know, <laughs> to sort of tell the story. So that's the fictional part. All the interviews are real, all the statements are real, and all of the facts about Steve are real, but we sort of, in a fun way, made it like a road trip book. But in reality, I didn't go to all the places, though I went to some of them, and then we kind of wove it together. Because some of these were interviews done by my co-author, Marshall Terrell, with people that have since died. So it would have been impossible for me to have this interview with them. And I'm, and we weave all these stories together that tell the complete story of the transformation of Steve McQueen. I've got a couple of questions I want to try to squeeze in, Greg, in the last couple of minutes. And one of them is, you said Marshall Terrell was involved in writing five other books about McQueen. Yep. Is that right? Yes, that's correct. So why would he want to write a sixth, uh, a sixth book that has this particular focus, which is more of an evangelistic focus? Yeah, well, you know, Marshall's a believer, and we became friends as, as I started working on this movie project. And and I said, you know, Marshall, I'm going to make a movie about the you know transformation of Steve as he came to faith, and I think this would make an interesting book. And, and Marshall said, I heard him in an interview say, uh, he said, Greg forced me to look at this story in a different way. And Marshall went back over his life, and then he began to see kind of how the dots connected spiritually in Steve's life. Now, he had mentioned some of these things before, but not connecting dots like I did which I was showing going back to his very early part of his career and then different points where he was exposed to the gospel and how that seed was sown and then how it broke ground and then he became a believer. So for Marshall, he loved it. I mean, he loves kind of approaching it from that angle and telling the story through a different lens. So that's why he did it, because he thought, wow, now that you bring that to my attention, this is a story worth telling. And plus, Marshall said to me, you know, I think you are uniquely qualified to tell this part of Steve's story because of the fact that your childhoods are identical, and they really are. Okay, 30 seconds, and that's all we've got, but give us a little bit of a tease in terms of the connection between Steve McQueen and Billy Graham, and then we'll wrap it up. <laughs> yes, well, Steve, you know, was a great admirer of Billy Graham, and when he knew that he was probably not going to make it because cancer had spread through his body, he asked to meet Billy, and Billy and him spent time together, had prayer together, and as and in fact, um, Steve had misplaced his Bible, and Billy gave 
his Bible to Steve and inscribed it to him. And then when Steve died after a surgery to remove cancer from his body, they found him in the recovery room holding on to Billy's Bible. So as he entered eternity, he was holding that Bible that was given to him by Billy Graham. What a sweet ending. Well, the movie is Steve McQueen, American Icon. You can buy tickets if you go to stevemcqueenmovie.com. And don't forget the book, this, uh, uh, Steve McQueen, American Icon, The Salvation, well, The Salvation of an American Icon. Kind of got that backwards. Pastor Greg Laurie, thanks so much for spending time. I know you're very busy. We appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me on. For Bot Radio Network, this is Eben Fowler. Thanks for listening. Okay, thank you, Greg. Thank you very much. I-